so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. You're listening to the ERLC podcast. Pam said, I'm just not, I'm not a crier. She's not in that zone, bro. Right. I'm not a crier around people. And nature versus nurture, I think it has a lot to do with Are you going to go home and cry later? Are you a private crier? Yeah. I'm not a much of a crier, cry. but— do you have a car, do you, Yeah, front, you have a cry closet? In, well, let's talk about this when we're in the lunchroom. Let's not oh, okay. This. Okay, hey, hold Lindsay, on. what do Wait. you bring to the lunchroom? I'm bringing Josh Weston. Hold on. Shh, shh, shh. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the ERLC Podcast, where every week we're talking about our work here at the ERLC and focusing on the things that Christians need to know about the things going on in the world. I'm Josh Wester, and with me in the studio today for one last podcast, just for me, they're sticking around, to be clear, are my faithful, beloved, wonderful co-hosts, Lindsay Nicolay. Josh, you're killing me, Smalls. We should have brought the Kleenexes. Hello, everybody. It is a sad day in the podcast studio. I'm literally wearing sackcloth and ashes right now, so wish you could see it. But also with us in the studio, of course, some uh, some laughs and some tears, Brent Leatherwood. And some wisdom, words of wisdom. I but, don't think Brent cries. Sure, but I'll have the tears. Okay, there you'll you have the tears. Yeah, yeah, he'll, he'll cry for us. You know what this moment Anyways, needs? hello, y'all. I, I should have, yeah. <laughs> Glad you're here. Uh, you know what this moment needs? It needs like a Mr. Deeds greeting card. I don't know if you guys have seen that movie uh, with Adam Sandler, but in it, he is, you know, aspires to be like a Hallmark card writer and they're all really, really bad, but they were, you know, you know, endearing nonetheless. Mm-hmm. In any case, this needs a one last commemorative poetic stamp. But since I don't have that, I'll just turn it over to Lindsay and let her tell us what the ERLC has been talking about this week. Is it like roses are red, violets are blue? Golly gee, Josh. We're really going to miss you. That's exactly <laughs> what you it's. Go. That's Did you exactly just what come up with for. that right there? <laughs> yes, off the top of, of your course. Head? Wow. <laughs> Do you know the first two stanzas, you know, or somebody else? That's true. And, and then those. you just did golly <laughs> gee. Yeah. The, golly yeah. gee, Josh, yeah, which is hard to say fast. Yeah. Anyway, we are going to miss you, but we're not going to talk about that right now. We're going to live in denial while I go through this content section for a while. Just going to treat it like it's all normal. So this week on our site, we're covering. A variety of topics. We're covering religious liberty. We're covering showing uh, Christ-like care for students who struggle with their sexuality. And we're covering an explainer that deals with a, a federal court that blocked a certain mandate that I'll tell you about in just a minute. First off, we want to start with an article by Corey D. Higdon. He's out of Southern Seminary. And it's part of our Baptist Heritage series. And it's titled, Why Roger Williams Contended for Our First Freedom, Religious Liberty and Our Evangelistic Emergency. This article I also chose because it gives Josh Wester all the feels. He is a Baptist history nerd. Well, he's an all things nerd, actually. Religious liberty nerd and proponent, of course, because it's so important. But I thought he would appreciate this. Can we be honest? You you actually, you can't be on staff at the ERLC and and not be a nerd. You know, I beg to differ. (laughs) You would. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, you, no, you I would. am a nerd. Yeah. It's true. No, you are. Uh, so this is, once again, a fascinating article and just an important article when we think about what our forefathers have passed down to us as Baptists. I love the opening of this article. It says, though Baptists love to claim him, Roger Williams was a Baptist for about 12 minutes. <laughs> You'll have to go on and read the rest of the article to find out why. But Corey talks about Roger Williams' passion for religious liberty, his advocacy for it, and the heart behind his advocacy for religious liberty, which was his belief in our soul freedom, his belief that no person should be compelled to place their faith in Christ, but that instead— they should have the freedom to choose. And that's something that we see from the Bible. And of course, there is a paradox there where uh, we're free to choose Christ, and yet we know, based on what Scripture teaches, that He chooses us too and opens our eyes to the truth of the gospel. But nevertheless, Roger Williams wanted us to have that choice and not be compelled by the state. And Corey uses this as a lesson for us today as modern Baptists that religious liberty is a means for evangelism, that we want all people to be free to choose what they will believe. At the same time, we know that people cannot put their faith in Christ unless they have somebody proclaiming to them the words of life, the truth of the gospel. And that's what God has entrusted to us to go to all the nations and to tell them this good news of Christ. And here in America, we can be thankful that we are able to do that without fear of persecution because of the legacy of people like Roger Williams. Next up, we have an article by the remarkable Jared Kennedy. We are so thankful that he is a channel editor on our team. He produces content that is so helpful for the church and so faithful to the Word of God. And this article is titled, How to Show Christ-Like Care for a Student Who Struggles with Same-Sex Attraction. The reality is we live in a world that is broken in many ways, including when it comes to our sexuality, how we perceive ourselves. Many people struggle with gender identity. And this is probably incredibly prevalent among our students, especially those who have grown up not knowing anything different than the sexual revolution. So if you are involved in church, you are probably going to encounter a student who is struggling with this and a student who comes to you for counsel and wants to know what is the right thing to do? What does God's word teach us? And Jared gives us some advice here. First, he says, cultivate empathy. We don't wanna just look at someone and say, yuck, or that's not right, turn away from it. Instead, we wanna empathize with their struggles. We all know what it's like to struggle with sin in this world, even though our sin struggles are different. And so we want to have, have a heart that is compassionate like our God. Second, he says, acknowledge the courage it takes to be honest. Third, listen before we speak or act. Fourth, acknowledge your child's suffering. Fifth, pray for your child. And finally, gently communicate what it looks like to follow Jesus. Jared expands on these, so I would encourage you to go to our site and read this article. Whether you know someone currently who is struggling with this or not, it is relevant for encountering somebody that struggles with sin of any kind, but it will be relevant in your life at some point as you seek to point someone struggling with their sexuality to the truth of the gospel and the hope that we have in Christ. And finally, we have an article by our policy staff out of D.C. titled, Explainer, Federal Court Blocks Controversial Transgender Mandate for Healthcare Professionals. 
So I'll read from the opening paragraph. This week, a federal court in Texas ruled that it is unlawful to force healthcare professionals to violate their consciences for gender transition procedures. This is great news for children, families, and Christians who want to continue serving in roles without conforming to, as this article says, the latest fashionable right side of history cause. What this stems from is in 2016, as part of implementing the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act, the Obama administration's HHS, the Health and Human Services Department, established a rule that was requiring medical providers to perform abortions and gender transition procedures or face penalties. As you and I know, this is unacceptable, and this is a violation of religious liberty. So in 2020, uh, the Trump administration finalized a rule reversing it, But then in 2021, that's this year, the Office for Civil Rights at the HHS announced that the way it was going to interpret and enforce the Affordable Care Act and Title IX's non-discrimination provisions was going to expand on the definition of sex to include sexual orientation and gender identity. So you can imagine that was violating people's religious liberty. That was um, causing a lot of problems. So a lawsuit was filed to challenge this mandate and it was ruled favorably. So now the Biden administration has 60 days to decide whether it's going to appeal this court's ruling. And we just wanted to highlight it to you because it's a very important religious liberty issue, especially for healthcare professionals. And it's one that we are going to continue to promote and defend and advocate for because religious liberty and the conscience rights of all people and religious organizations are important and imperative to what it means to be here in America and to be able to live according to your deeply held religious beliefs. Lindsay, you did really great with that. If that was confusing to you at all, uh, people listening to her try to explain this policy that has been batted back and forth between administrations, uh, suffice it to say that government is incredibly complicated. You know, we not only have a constitution and federal laws and state laws, but then so much of, of what actually affects the way that we live our lives happens at the level of policy, which is implemented by agencies which come through uh, elected officials appointing people and through bureaucrats that work at these agencies. It's, an, it's incredibly complex and complicated. And so it's one reason why uh, organizations like the ERLC exist to keep up with these things that are just, man, they're so in the weeds and they can be so difficult uh, for the average person to hang on to. So that's why we dedicate such focus to issues like this. But I don't want to talk about this really, Lindsay. I just want to say, one, I commend uh, Jared Kennedy to you guys all the time because he is just incredibly so faithful and helpful, uh, helping us hold fast to truth, but to... Uh, articulate and to speak to a culture and to generation, and in this case, uh, even to even to children and young people uh, about some of the most difficult issues in life. And he does it with winsomeness, with grace, uh, but in a way that is absolutely holding fast to the truths, uh, the core truths of what what we believe. And then I've just got to give a huge shout out to Corey Higdon, who is an incredibly talented PhD student at Southern Seminary. Uh, he works with uh, Dr. Moeller as his director of research, and he is studying Roger Williams. And so he wrote this article for us on uh, Roger Williams, who is, you know, the one of the foremost uh, Baptist identified with the history of religious liberty in the United States. And uh, that whole line, uh, Roger Williams was a Baptist for about 12 minutes. Uh, Roger Williams has a fascinating story. It is absolutely worth reading. And, and Corey does a really, really good job of setting that forth here in this article. And so I would really encourage you to go check that out. Yeah, since you covered all three, I'm not, I'm not gonna, uh, I was making sure, I wanted to make sure you were going to cover the Roger Williams piece uh, that Corey wrote for us. 
on the transgender mandate, uh, I would just say, Lindsay, you mentioned the Biden administration has 60 days to contest this decision. Everyone should have the expectation that they likely will. It is interesting to note uh, this is the second time that an aspect of the transgender mandate uh, has been challenged and it has lost in federal court. And that's a good thing uh, because uh, following uh, government mandates should not uh, require the steamrolling of people's consciences. And uh, particularly as it relates to this issue, uh, I mean, th- this is something that, that we at the RLC will stay on top of and uh, continue to keep our audience informed of. You know, and I appreciated that Josh pointed out the complexities of issues like this, litigious issues, legalities, policy issues, the courts and our court system, because I even have a hard time trying to comprehend these things, and I edit these articles. That's why I'm thankful for our policy team, our incredible staff in D.C., the work that we do on behalf of Southern Baptists, on behalf of Christians. We're thankful at the ERLC to keep you apprised of these types of issues and to continue to contend for your religious liberty in D.C., on Capitol Hill, in the courts, and before the Supreme Court even when things like this make it that far. And um, it's our privilege to get to do that and to get to equip you and educate you regarding these things. And we'll keep on doing that, and we're thankful to be able to. But for now, that's your look at what's happening on ERLC.com. Hey, thanks, Lindsay. And that brings us to our culture section for the week. So, Brent, tell us what's going on in the world. All right. Thanks for that, Josh. Okay. So, we're just going to do three big stories this week that folks need to be aware of. So, that way we can we can get to a enlightening conversation with our, our dear colleague, Josh, here, who is taking part in his his final podcast. But you never know. Maybe, maybe we will, like, interview Josh someday as, like, a prominent Baptist who's out there doing good work. And, and maybe that's Maybe that's how we'll just bring him right back into the podcast. That's right, as a guest. All right, so three big stories this week. We're going to lead off with this one from the New York Times. Governor Andrew M. Cuomo of New York said on Tuesday that he would resign from office, succumbing to a ballooning sexual harassment scandal and an astonishing reversal of fortune for one of the nation's best-known leaders. Mr. Cuomo said his resignation would take effect in 14 days. Lieutenant Governor Kathy Hochul, a Democrat, will be sworn in to replace him, becoming the first woman in history to occupy New York State's top office. Quote, given the circumstances, the best way I can help now is if I step aside and let government get back to governing, Mr. Cuomo said in remarks streamed from his office in Midtown Manhattan. And therefore, that's what I'll do, he said. Uh, we talked about this a, a little bit last week with these allegations, these stunning allegations from multiple women who say that over the years he has harassed them. And we were just talking last week how truly astonishing it was because last spring, Governor Cuomo was uh, doing daily updates on the coronavirus in New York. And... um He won a lot of approval for that because he was very forthright with his information and folks were talking about him as a potential presidential candidate. And now he's stepped aside, which I will add is also unique in this uh, political moment that we're in uh, because it seems like recent history has shown that leaders will simply just kind of deny reality and say, no, I'm I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to double down on things and remain in office. And it's just, I honestly, even when these allegations came out, I thought, man, this, this is really bad politically. 
But more than likely, he's probably just going to try and fight it out and try and remain in office. And uh, ultimately, I would say this is this is the right resolution to this instance. Yeah, there's really no doubt that it is the right thing for uh, Governor Cuomo to resign. And we say that because, look, things have changed a lot in, in America, even coming out of the late 20th century into the 21st century. We are aware of just how many things in terms of like dynamics in the workplace, uh, even in the church or just in relationships, uh, particularly when it comes to male-female relationships, things have changed. Some of the some of the boundaries or lines have, have moved. And so you don't have to, you can be totally sensible uh, and, and sensitive to that reality and still acknowledge that there's always been really clear lines about the way you put your hands on people, about the way that somebody who's a boss uh, engages with, or particularly like a male boss engages with a, uh, a female that is under his supervision. And uh, based on what this report came out, uh, it was it was devastating. It was very, very clear that Governor Cuomo had not just crossed the line, but had done it with, in so many instances with so many different women. And with that being the case, uh, there, there's no need to try to rehabilitate or recover or endure. Uh, instead, the best thing that could have happened here was for him, like you said, to step aside. And uh, honestly, I was shocked that it happened. I thought that he would likely either be impeached or, or suffer a failed impeachment effort there in New York. But instead, uh, he is, you know, voluntarily, uh, though after trying his best to, uh, to make it through, he is voluntarily stepping aside. And I think that's absolutely the right thing to do. Well, and the only thing that I could add here is that I hope and wish, but that this would be consistent across party lines, that we would have a track record of not tolerating any of this type of behavior ever, and that these decisions wouldn't be made based on politics and and how we're trying to advance our party's agenda, but instead it would be based on the worth and the value of these individuals who are being violated. So I'm not naive enough to think that we're going to come to a perfect place on that, but I sure hope that because of how the world has changed, especially in light of the Me Too movement and the Church Too movement, that we will get closer and closer to um, a no-toleration policy. Yeah, that's that's exactly right, Lindsay. Elsewhere, news, uh, particularly on the international front, has focused on the withdrawal of U.S. troops from Afghanistan this week because the news there is alarming, uh, to say the least. So NBC News reports this. The Taliban are gaining ground faster than the U.S. military expected, three defense officials told NBC News, as the militant group makes sweeping advances across Afghanistan. In the span of days, Taliban fighters have overrun a string of provincial capitals as part of a major offensive launched after American and international troops began to pull out of the country in May. Quote, all of the momentum is going one way right now, one U.S. defense official said. Yet earlier this week, President Joe Biden made clear he has no plans to change course as the U.S. aims to complete its withdrawal from Afghanistan by September 11th, the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 terror attacks. Quote, Afghan leaders have to come together, Biden told reporters at the White House on Tuesday. They have got to fight for themselves and fight for their nation. I spotlight this because there have been, whether you feel that our prolonged time in Afghanistan is the right policy or not, uh, there are a, by a number of metrics, uh, it, it is a proven fact that life in Afghanistan has gotten measurably better since the Taliban was dislodged uh, as the the leadership of that country. 
And there are so many stories. I mean, this is just a look from the military perspective, this story from NBC. But there are so many other heart-rending stories about individuals who are very scared for their future, uh, particularly, I mean, I should point out, but particularly women in Afghanistan who are very concerned about going back under the uh, theocratic rule of Taliban leaders and what this means for the country. And so, uh, look, the polls show the vast majority of Americans uh, do agree with the withdrawal from Afghanistan. I think we just have to remember and we have to understand the costs that are going to come with that. And as Christians who care for those who are marginalized, it, it certainly seems like a significant portion of the population in Afghanistan is going to become marginalized. We need to be praying for this country and, and for these people. Yeah, Brent, it's easy to forget the human toll. That's really what's on my mind about this. Um, I don't know politically or as a war expert, you know, I, I don't know. Should we have gone in there? I don't know. What's crazy to me is that it's, it's been 20 years. I remember when we invaded Afghanistan and it kind of makes me feel old that um, I actually have been alive from start to to now, which I'm glad I'm alive. And aren't you? Because mm-hmm. I just delight y'all every week right here in front of your faces in the studio. But it's easy to forget the human toll that people are living in fear for their lives, that their way of life is horrendous compared to ours. We're here in our, our comfy comfy houses and and we're not scared that some militant group is going to come after us and and kill us and just wreak havoc on our lives. And so as believers, we need to remember to carry these people in our hearts and to pray for them, pray that the Lord would bring about some kind of a peaceful resolution. And we are working on a peace regarding that for our site. And it's just just as a helpful reminder, so the 9-11 attacks happened, which were just unprecedented in, in scope and scale and planning. The Taliban were in the leadership of Afghanistan, and they allowed al-Qaeda, which is the group that launched the attacks, a safe haven uh, from which to operate, conceptualize and, and operate uh, and carry out those attacks. And, and that, is, that is why we went into Afghanistan to uh, root out al-Qaeda and uh, dislodge the Taliban uh, from the leadership of that country. So it it's just jarring to think we are going to vacate that country and the very the very group that we sought to take out of leadership is in fact storming back. It's just honestly it's just it's stunning. It is stunning and honestly uh, it's devastating because of the investment uh, that the United States made because of the loss of life that we have suffered in terms of military personnel. And most importantly, like like Lindsay said, the, the human cost here, the people who are going to be subjected to terrible, terrible things. I mean, I think that it's it's been a theme for me on the podcast recently, just to reflect on how blessed we are as Americans to enjoy the freedoms uh, that we do and just the privileges that we enjoy being a part of what is really such a great nation. And so when you think about Afghanistan and, and this failed, ultimately this failed effort to reestablish this nation over the last two decades, it is devastating. It is tragic. And and God be with those people who are going to have to suffer uh, at the hands of violent and honestly, some wicked, uh, wicked men who are going to, who right now are just marching to devastate and take control of this country. Our final story uh, is about coronavirus and the COVID vaccines. And so the Associated Press has this, and I think it's timely 
considering that the Delta variant is spreading far and wide uh, in, in our nation. So the Associated Press writes this, expectant women run a higher risk of severe illness and pregnancy complications from the coronavirus, including perhaps miscarriages and stillbirths, but their vaccination rates are low, with only about 23% having received at least one dose, according to CDC data. Quote, the vaccines are safe and effective, and it has never been more urgent to increase vaccinations as we face the highly transmissible Delta variant and see severe outcomes from COVID-19 among unvaccinated pregnant, well, she said people. We at the RLC would say women uh, because women are are the individuals who carry children to, to term. It just so happens that women are the only pregnant people. Exactly. <laughs> uh, CDC Director Dr. Rochelle Walensky said in a statement, the updated guidance comes after a CDC analysis of new safety data on 2,500 women showed no increased risks of miscarriage for those who received at least one dose of the Pfizer or Moderna vaccine before 20 weeks of pregnancy. And Josh, you were remarking before we got on here that you thought this was a, a particularly relevant story right now. Why is that? I do. You know, anecdotally, and I, I recognize the the power of an anecdote versus empirical data, but uh, anecdotally, I've talked to a number of people recently, actually in different states, uh, who are either in their own families or personally know women who are pregnant, who who were concerned about getting the vaccine, or more importantly, they know women who uh, hope to someday be pregnant and are skeptical or concerned about getting the vaccine because they they fear it's going to make them infertile somehow or hinder their, uh, you know, their ability to conceive. And the truth is that we have been covering the coronavirus since its very beginning. I mean, it has been, uh, we've joked before, it's coterminous with our, with our podcast. And uh, while in all of that time, everything that we've seen, I've never run across anything that has made me concerned that taking the vaccine, any of the vaccines available in the United States, could be linked to infertility in, in either men or women. I think that it's one of those things that uh, obviously there's a lot of bad information out there. I'm happy to be corrected if, if anybody knows of anything like that. But other than, you know, crazy stuff floating around on the Internet. I have not seen anything uh, that is that is trustworthy or reputable or coming from the scientific or medical community that has made me think uh, or that has pointed or indicated at all uh, that this is some kind of legitimate concern. And so certainly we want everyone to take this seriously. We have encouraged you over and over again to talk to your doctor, your healthcare uh, professionals, but – it is good news uh, that we see here that the vaccine is safe for pregnant women because there there are I mean, there are women who are pregnant who have contracted coronavirus that have died uh, as a result of that and that is tragic on so many levels. So, as somebody likes to say, know your facts and uh, check into this, ask the questions. But this is really really good news. And of course, as you already mentioned, you can't know your facts if you're just getting your information from social media because there is a lot of misinformation, disinformation out there, as our colleague Jason Thacker likes to talk about. So Josh already mentioned this, but talk to your doctor. They would love to have a phone call. You're not bothering them. They would love to have a phone call where you are asking them these questions rather than uh, being a WebMD and going and doing your own sleuthing online. Right. And in fact, rather than it being dangerous for pregnant women, as we're seeing in articles like this and have seen from other studies, it's beneficial for pregnant women because it protects them from severe illness and it protects their unborn children, their preborn children. And we want them to be protected. If we can do something to protect 
protect vulnerable populations and really all of us from this dreadful virus that keeps mutating, by the way. I've heard of Lambda coming up next. Uh, Then by all means, let's take advantage of the gift of these safe vaccines and protect ourselves. Well, the three things I would just add is I saw a healthcare professional the other day just just simply remind people, more than likely you get a get a vaccine, you're not going to have side effects. If you do, they will be mild. And those are nothing compared to the side effects if you actually contract coronavirus and, and have effects from it. Uh, I saw a doctor who was being interviewed at a hospital in Houston where they're having a very tough time right now uh, with cases. And that doctor said, of the 120 patients that he has personally been responsible for that have died since the beginning of the summer, all of them had not been vaccinated. And this now, uh, this story is showing that that, that applies to, to uh, pregnant women. If you're vaccinated, you are essentially helping to make sure that if you were to contract coronavirus, uh, you will not have severe effects from it. And hopefully, you know, you, you won't have any issues uh, with, with childbirth. And so the data is pretty clear. These vaccines, they, they are a blessing and they're a way out of this. And with school starting, you know, that's, that's been what's on the, the minds of my wife and I, uh, with school starting here for us in, in just a, a few days. Gosh, we just were hoping that school stays in person uh, and we want our kids to, to be able to stay in the classroom and learn there. So, Well, I'd add one more thing, Brent, just a reminder to pray for our hospitals and our healthcare professionals We didn't specifically talk about this, but there is a story coming out of Mississippi where at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, the the associate vice chancellor for clinical affairs has said that uh, if they continue their trajectory, they could possibly have a system failure of the hospital system within the next five to seven to 10 days. And that is just catastrophic. And once again, as you said, there's a way out of this, and that's the blessing of the vaccines. And so just pray for our, our hospital workers, our healthcare workers. They're exhausted. They have families they're worried about. Their families are exhausted. This is just a trying time. And it's like lamb chop. It's the song that will not end. Like we thought it was over, but then it, it just keeps coming back. So let's, let's pray for them. That's right. Okay. Well, Lindsay, Josh, that's your look at This Week in Culture. Well, thanks for that, Brent. And usually it's Josh who says this, but we're going to transition into our lunchroom segment. I don't want Josh to introduce it because our lunchroom is going to be about Josh. This we're having time Josh for lunch. What? That sounds weird. <laughs> That's why people listen to this podcast. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Anyway, we want to invite you to the lunchroom so we can sit here and just talk about Josh and how thankful we are for him and share stories about him and him share stories. So, Josh, why don't you kick us off talking about yourself and how much you love yourself? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, why seriously, don't... Josh, you didn't tell us last week, uh, but now the, the news is starting to circulate. W- where are you going? Okay, so 
I announced uh, yesterday, finally publicly, that uh, my family will be relocating from Nashville down to Mobile, Alabama, which is uh, not a state or a place I ever thought I would live. Uh, We're going to be joining uh, the staff of Redemption Church, which is uh, where Ed Litton is the pastor. Ed is, as most of you know, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, and he has asked me to come on board as associate pastor at the church with the primary focus of helping him in his role as SBC president. And so uh, for the next uh, two years, God willing, we are going to be doing everything we can to try to help direct the SBC to be on mission, reaching the nations, making disciples, and making a significant, significant difference for the sake of the gospel here in the United States and around the world. Um, we're thrilled for you. You are, It kind of seems trite, cliche, but you really are the man for the job. The Lord has gifted in so many ways that it has become increasingly evident during your time here at the ERLC and all the things that you have had your hands involved in and you have helped shape in such profound ways. I I do want to say you are all about redemption because you're going from Redemption City Church to Redemption Church. So we are thankful for that, that you're about redemption. It's okay to have a life uh, that is marked by the word redemption. It is. It is. In fact, we would highly recommend it. And I would just point out, I came here from Redeemer Church in North Carolina. So Redeemer to Redemption City to Redemption Church. We know what the trend is in church names. That's right. Surprising people every day with redemptive hope is the goal. Yes. What are you most looking forward to in this new role? So it's funny. I'm going to reference my mom here real quick and say that I've had a lot of conversations with her trying to talk about the new opportunity and just explain what the what this job really is because what I said to her was there's not any high school kids out there right now going, what career path do I need to get on so that I can work for the SBC president one day? But in the providence of God, I have just become, I mean, we all joke about, we joked about it earlier today, that, that you have to be a nerd to work at the ERLC. And, and I really am one and have fallen in love with the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, I I know our denomination is not perfect. Certainly it has a very uh, complex uh, history, but I honestly believe that by the grace of God, the SBC, and as we call ourselves Great Commission Baptists, I believe we are the single most effective vehicle to accomplish the Great Commission in existence. I, I think we are, to, to reach the nations and to win souls for Christ, to advance God's kingdom. And so, uh, what I'm most excited about is uh, I've been doing a lot of driving recently, and I feel like with my with my son, every time we drive into a big city that has like tall buildings, he's just amazed every single time. No matter how many times he's been there, it's downtown Nashville, Raleigh, even Mobile. He just goes, oh, wow, Dad, look at that. And what I'm most excited about is I still kind of have this sense of wonder about the huge, huge institution and all of the many institutions that make up the Southern Baptist Convention. And having a chance to help steward those resources for two years is just man, it is, uh, it's something that I didn't know was a dream. It wasn't a dream for me when I was a kid, but, but here as an adult, man, it it matters so much. When Jesus told us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you, seeing God's kingdom flourish through the SBC is really the the heartbeat of what I want to do with my life, uh, over this next period. Josh, you, uh, a lot of folks probably don't realize this, but you know, you've been such a spark for a number of great initiatives that we've done and 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 helpful assets that we produce like whether it is this podcast whether it is Dr. Moore's newsletter uh some of the the videos that we put online to to help uh, Christians think about complex issues i have a two part question what's been your personal highlight and it's okay you don't have to say working with me 
so I, I, I let's let's go with you know one B. And what's one thing that that you you wish like man I wish I had more time so we could do this. Man, that's a great question. So uh, while I'm thinking about the answer, I'll just say that. I was a student of Dr. Morris at Southern Seminary when I was there doing my MDiv. And I finished my time at Southern when he came to the RLC. And so I had my eyes on the RLC starting back then in 2013. And I was very, very excited when he wrote his book Onward, uh, which kind of charted a new course for Christians to think about politics and cultural engagement. But what really solidified that this is one of the things I really wanted to do with my life uh, was the ERLC's response to the Obergefell ruling uh, back in 2015 that legalized same-sex marriage nationwide, uh, if it had not been for Dr. Moore and for the ERLC, I, I think a lot, a lot of pastors and Christians would have felt very lost and very just uh, untethered from reality, from, from we felt like we were losing our bearings because for the first time we're living in a, in a country where same-sex marriage is not only legal, but we knew inevitably it would be normalized. And so when I got to the ERLC, I, I was always looking to see what kinds of things can we do while I'm here? What, what big moments and huge opportunities are going to be in front of us? And honestly, it was not something that I ever expected. And, on, and, and frankly, it was pretty horrible that it was something we had to dive into. But addressing uh, everything that we did through Caring Well, where we talked about sexual abuse within the church and, and pushed forward a major uh, – with, with J.D. Greer, the SPC president – uh, the ERLC was just partnered with him and in, in his during his presidency to combat this issue, to take it head on, to try to make SBC churches safe places for children, safe places for women, anyone who is vulnerable, and to ensure that we are uh, we are dealing appropriately with anybody who would commit abuse or seek to uh, use our churches as grounds to prey upon those who are innocent or vulnerable. The ERLC's response in all of that was just. It was critical, and it still is. It's still ongoing, but but for the rest of my life, that'll be something that I was glad to be associated with because it was so, so important. Having talked to uh, survivors and victims of sexual abuse, the way that it absolutely can tear their lives apart, every child, every person that we prevent that from happening to or that we help recover after that kind of a trauma, man, that that is absolutely worthy of investment. What was the second part of the question? What's one thing that, that you just, man, I wish we had more time to to do this or, you know, something that, that you would love to have finished or whatever. Yeah. So there were a number of things. One, uh, there's a, there's a project that maybe I can convince Lindsay to, to push forward, even if I'm not here, which is to try to make some of the very short early writings of Baptists on religious liberty available. I uh, wanted to publish a few small books like we did with the uh, Carl F. H. Henry book, Has Democracy Lost Its Day, uh, or Had Its Day uh, book a few years ago. I, I'd really love to see us put some of those writings from guys like Isaac Backus and Roger Williams and John Leland uh, in the hands of everyday Christians in a format that they can absolutely read. And then another thing is, look, it's just, it's still looming. I mean, one of the biggest things we've been engaged in at the ERLC over the last couple of years has been the fight between LGBT rights and religious freedom. And I think that churches still have so many questions. And I do. I mean, we talk to them every day. Churches that have so many questions about how to handle and, and continue to minister and pour the hope of the gospel into people who are struggling with their sexual identities, even as they don't back away from or, or alter their approach to truth and their beliefs in the things that, that the Bible teaches and that we hold as fundamental to who we are as people. So, so there's still so much work to be done in that vein. Uh, but the URLC is not going anywhere, and it's going to continue to to work on these very issues. And so uh, that's something I wish I could have been more a part of, but something that uh, I think people are going to continue to rely on the ERLC for many, many years to come. 
Well, I hate to transition from serious topics, which are so important to less serious things, but I just wanted us to have a chance to talk about some of our favorite things about Josh here on this podcast and at work. Uh, And one of my first things that comes to mind is that listeners won't know this because you're not in the studio with us. Although that'd be fun if we had a live studio audience. Absolutely. I'll come back for that. Yes. It it kind of would be terrifying, though, because then they'd see how Marky Mark, our um, audio producer, makes us sound more intelligent. Well, makes me sound more intelligent and put together than I am. But Josh, when you say something that is questionable, either not accurate or just comes off the wrong way, Josh is kind of staring off into the distance or with his headphones on, or he's looking at his phone or he's typing on his iPad or something, kind of not paying attention to you when you're talking. But he'll just, his head will just shoot over and look at you and his eyes get really big and he kind of like purses his lips and you're like, uh-oh, what did I just do? I just said something that that doesn't make any sense. So then you just start stumbling over your words and questioning. And then we go off on a rabbit trail and make Mark's job harder. Uh, but that's one of my favorite things about Josh here on the podcast. That's great. One of, uh, this morning I talked with one of our colleagues, Alex Ward, and your name came up, Josh, because the way that Alex picked up the phone that he was like, I don't know, walking or something. But I said, oh, you picked it up like Josh. He's like, oh, what does that mean? And I said, oh, it's it's like when uh, you call Josh and there's this long sigh at the beginning, this long exhale. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe this is just to talk to yep. you. <laughs> I, ne- I never get that. Because <laughs> Josh always has to wait. Maybe I don't hear the exhale because I'm like, hold on, just one minute. I got to put in my AirPods. That's, oh, wait, they're not connecting. Oh, wait, they're not connecting. Oh, wait. You know, as you're doing all that, he's still sighing because he's like, right. why can't Lindsay ever get her act together? The other thing is that we knew when we were actually in the office because, you know, coronavirus, is that Josh walks around with several different beverages in his hand. So he's got a coffee and then he's got a Diet Mountain Dew or a Coke Zero, and he leaves them in various places, but he's usually always drinking several things at one time, which I can relate to because I do the same thing. And he's is often on different diet fads. So then sometimes he's giving giving diet he's giving up his Mountain Dew. He's using Splenda, like five of them at one time. He's not using them. He's eating sweets. He's not eating sweets. So you just kind of never know what you're gonna get. Man, I feel just properly skewered right there. (laughs) You're not skewered. You're not skewered. You're on diet fads. It's all of us do it, but you do it more than other people. Yes. You're running, you're not running, but you usually are running. Usually I'm running. Impressive, yes. So Josh, you're you're essentially gonna go and be for our SBC president. You're you're gonna go be as Leo McGarry. Yeah. That's a big deal, right? How are you how are you feeling about that? I mean, who's worthy of the Leo McGeary title? He actually introduced me that way to someone the other day. And I was just like, man, like maybe, maybe I'm like a second-rate Josh Lyman. But <laughs> and if you don't know what we're talking about, you need to watch the West Wing so you can understand. Uh, but yes, this is this is the Leo McGeary role anyway. Gotcha. Well, since since you're s- stating that you're going to be more like a Josh Lyman, I, I imagine that somewhere in there is a secret plan to fight inflation. There is definitely a <laughs> secret plan to fight inflation. Oh, man. And um, I'm pretty sure, so I just rewatched that episode, which is Celestial <laughs> Navigation. And if you guys haven't seen that, you It's have, one of the best episodes. Oh, my gosh. It really is. It really is. You know, I started liking West Wing. I told y'all and confessed that to you. But I have to say I stopped at season five. Like, it just totally ran out of steam. And I just was not interested after that. 
I'll try to pick it back up, but I mean, it's wah. it's totally understandable because the first four seasons are really what where the magic is. Uh, I agree with that, but you should finish it out because yeah. there's still a lot of really good quotable scenes and stuff. So, one more point of razzing Josh: How can we forget the best friends? Uh, oh, best teasing. Friends, yeah. Josh oh, has, you've heard us talk about this, but Josh, everybody is his best friend. And yeah. Brent has started joking that if you follow one another on Twitter, best then you're best friend. You're Besties. automatically Josh's Besties. best friend. Josh is a fan of words and their meaning and using them correctly. But this is where I contend with him that he does not use best correctly. You, nothing is best if everything is best. It just doesn't work. Well, but there's a layer. I found, Remember we found this out a couple weeks ago. There's a layer above best friends, great friends, great friends. And and so that's where he, you know, the only, only a select few get into that category. Yes. Um, Josh, but, how can we, how can listeners and us, how can we be praying for you as you move to this next season? Well, as my best friends. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, honestly, the, the thing that I've asked people for, a, apart from just praying that uh, God would continue to use the SBC, I mean, we are facing some pretty uh, challenging things in our denomination uh, as we as we move forward and try to keep our eyes uh, fixed on on the Great Commission. And one of the things I love uh, that uh, Ed says all the time is that we want to be Christians who uh, pursue the Great Commission by keeping our eyes on the Great Commandment. And so I think that's I think that's really wonderful. But w- one of the uh, one of the ways that I've asked people to pray for us is just pray for my family. We are making a major transition to go from one city where we have tons of friends and a great church and a great life to a brand new place where we're going to have a new church and a new a new school, uh, finding new friends and new, I mean, new everything. And so uh, my children, we have a seven-year-old son, a four-year-old daughter, and we have another daughter on the way. And so we're really, really excited about that. And by the way, if you didn't know, we spent about a month thinking we were having a boy, but it turns out it's a girl. And if you're going, how does that happen? We don't know either. It's so appropriate for (laughs) just given your work that you're doing. Well, you went to a, not a shoddy place, but you went early to find out. We went early. (laughs) You went. (laughs) For the record, we went to a very nice place, uh, (laughs) but it was early. And it it was was a place where like several people that we knew personally had had very good experiences and and they they were all correct in terms of the, the gender. But uh, not in this case. Yeah, how do you get that wrong? But, I don't know, but this is just—it's delightful news, though. Yes, but so so if you could pray for my family, that would that would mean so much to me. Uh, one thing that I will take away from my time here in Nashville that that was not ERLC related. Uh, we, my family, has been at Redemption City Church in Franklin that is pastored by Jed Coppinger for basically the entire four years that we have been here in Nashville. And uh, Jed Coppinger has, if he has impressed one thing into me, he has taught me how to pray, how to be a man who just depends on God and is not afraid to take all of my concerns uh, to the Lord. And so I just believe uh, in, a, in a new and deeper way uh, in the power of prayer. And Jed actually has a book coming out on prayer. I didn't mean to plug it, but he has a book coming out on prayer. That would really, really uh, commend to you whenever, uh, whenever it is out and available, but certainly in learning how to pray, it also makes me so grateful uh, when other people take the time to pray for my family. Well, that's a that's certainly a good word, and that's probably a, a good word to wrap up this segment and wrap up this era oh, of the sad. ERLC podcast. Just crushing. Just crushing. Yeah. So the Little boys to men there. We'll come to the end of the road. 
Mm. Oh, wow. You yeah. should listen to that on the I way home. I think we should listen to like when tears. friends are friends forever. Except yeah. like maybe That's maybe get true. a re-release where it's best friends are friends forever. Yes. Um, but before, Brent, before you take us out of here, I just want to say to all of our listeners and especially to the two of you, how grateful I am. Uh, this has been an amazing ride. It's been a great time for me at the ERLC. I mean, I had a dream job that honestly I didn't think I was going to uh, – I didn't think I would leave. And I definitely didn't think it would end so soon. Uh, but I, I really do believe this is a great opportunity. But man, we are we are leaving behind so much. And we are going to miss uh, our friends here in Nashville. We're going to miss uh, our church. But I'm going to miss all of you. I knew that I would love the work the ERLC did. Even before I got here, I had no idea that I would meet the kind of friends that best friends that I have uh, found in, in Lindsay and Brent uh, and all of my colleagues here at the ERLC. There's there's too many to name and too many relationships uh, to be able to highlight because it's just been amazing and I'm grateful to God for it. And so uh, even doing the podcast with you guys has been so, so fun and I look forward to making the jump from host to listener. Well, and you're not going away. You're still in the SBC orbit. We're still mm-hmm. going to collaborate on things. I'm sure we'll be hearing from you and keeping in touch because, I mean, best friends, that's what they do. So, this will not be the last that we hear of Josh Wester. That's right. Well, and you're the perfect man uh, for the job mm-hmm. uh, to to serve Pastor Linton, as well as just the the greater SBC family. And, and so um, that's uh, that's where Lindsay uh, kind of began this. Which you are the right man for the job here, and a lot of us are counting on you. And uh, and we are just grateful for you, buddy. And so. Thank you for your service at the ERLC, and we look forward to seeing all the new ways that you will flourish for the the wider SBC family. Gosh. Virtual hug. Oh, man. (laughs) Thank you guys so much. Virtual hug. (laughs) Well, you know what? I was going to close it out, but Josh, why don't you do that for one last time? All right. Well, for one last time, uh, we just want to say thanks so much for listening every week. Uh, It has been an honor and a and a pleasure to walk through life with you guys through uh, my first pandemic and hopefully the only one I will ever experience. Uh, But Brent and Lindsay have been incredible co-hosts and they plan to uh, keep this show rolling with other kinds of new and exciting things. So be on the lookout for that. We also want to say thanks to Megan Smith-Mayo, who is our technical producer. We want to say thank you to Marky Mark, who is also Mark Owens behind Owens Productions, who is our uh, audio engineer and producer and just basically Mr. Wizard for, for for making this podcast happen every week and to Marie Delph who makes sure that this show ends up in your podcast feeds. And so for all of us, we just want to say thanks for listening and we look forward to being back next week with more content. Mm-hmm.